0: Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. Today's episode is part two of the interview with Ankur Nagpal, the co-founder and CEO of Fedora. Now, Fedora is a platform that enables anyone to easily create and sell online courses. The company was founded in 2013 and to date has raised $2 million in funding. Prior to launching Fedora, Ankur launched a business while at college, building social widgets in between classes, which generated over a million dollars. Bloomberg Business called him a widget mogul. In this episode, we talk about how you can create an online course even if you're not an expert, how two guys learned to code and then made $2 million creating an online course, how to get positive reviews for your course and deal with negative ones, how an online course can help you build authority in your market, and how you can use an online course to sell other services or even a SaaS product. Okay, uh, let's, uh, let's get tactical and uh, talk about how someone can go about building an online course.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, a, a lot of people listening to this, and and this was something that you and I talked about earlier. Anyway, was we'll say uh, I'm not an expert. I don't have anything that I feel enough expertise about to be able to go and teach people. What, what's your view on? who should be creating online courses um and what's the best way that for them to figure out what they can teach people
1: yep um i think i think you nailed it um that's exactly the biggest reason most people don't end up teaching online is they feel that you know the fact that they're not an expert in anything um to which i say you know chances are you probably are an expert on something and you just you just don't know it um, a great example is very often, very often, um, like two of our most successful instructors on Fedora are programming teachers. Um, they run a site called BitFountain. And, you know, normally people would make the assumption that, hey, these guys, you know, probably studied computer science in school. They're expert developers. They've built so much stuff before. Um, turns out they're they only recently learned how to code before actually teaching other people how to code. And that's actually pretty effective because if you're about to teach someone that's never written a line of code before how to complete lesson one, if you've recently gone through the same path yourself, you're in a better position to teach new people how to do that than someone who graduated with a computer science degree 20 years ago. And that's a very, very powerful effect that I tell a lot of people about. Is very frequently students end up becoming the best teachers versus you know people that have formal training or qualifications and something.
0: So th- this is BitFountain. Yep. So this is I can see this on your on your homepage at usefedora.com. Yep. and so so these guys wow two million dollars in two twenty fourteen yep from from just the this course
1: several courses but yeah I mean you know they're I'm not, I'm not going to lie and say, you know, all our instructors do that well, like they are the most successful instructors we've had, but that, that's what, if that doesn't tell you about the power of online teaching, I, you know, like, I mean, there are two guys they're in their mid twenties, they're spending all their time traveling Europe while, while building online courses on developing mobile apps. And, you know, this is truly kind of the power of that online teaching has the fact that, you know, two people that are not even programmers by training, not, not to for a second say their courses are not incredibly good. I mean, the reason they're this successful, their course is incredibly good. But just the fact that without any formal qualifications, without the idea of issuing certificate certificates or, you know, some kind of, um, any kind of certification, they're still able to command that kind of money um, simply building great online courses.
0: Yeah, I think one insight that I have is that sometimes when you see people who are an expert at something, they become very good at talking about very complex uh, topics or very obscure topics. But um, sometimes it's not as easy for them to be able to talk about the, the basics or the fundamentals because they've taken it for for granted for so long yep. that it doesn't even take up much space in their head anymore, right?
1: Yep, absolutely. Um, I think it's really important to be a good teacher and not just, you know, have the subject material, which is one of the things that Bits Mountain does well. Um, the other thing that I find that they do well that a lot of other people don't do is a crazy, crazy commitment to quality. Um, I know it sounds cliched, but, you know, for For instance, when I t- I think yeah, it was it was Xcode, Apple's developer tool or whatever, they changed their interface to something that really didn't matter a lot. like functionally it was identical, but they changed their interface, so it looked different. Um, these guys decided to spend the next four days reshooting like 20 hours of footage so that their students that had already bought the course, so they wouldn't be making more money from these people, would be able to see the videos and see that it has the same interface as the recently updated change. So it's that kind of commitment to quality that I find pretty rare, even though, you know, we see thousands of courses, not enough people care that deeply about a great student experience.
0: That's awesome. Okay. So let's say, um, you know, uh, I have an idea. I, I think I have something that I can teach people. Um, what what's the process or the steps that I would go through? So, what's the first thing that I would do to get started?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the first thing the first thing you want to do actually happens before you, you know, before before the recording of content, before the teaching, is going out and talking to a few people that you think would be interested. And one, validating if they're actually interested. Two, seeing if you can actually find some way to teach people in-person, offline, and truly refine you know, your content, your value proposition, and the idea of what you're doing you know, being valuable. So even, again, to take you back to Bitfountain, for example, they started down this path by being offline teachers at General Assembly, teaching you know, cohorts of people for several weeks before realizing, hey, we're actually pretty good at this, and we you know, can take this online and start scaling this out further. The first thing I would tell someone to do is you know go out, teach people in person, maybe you know see if it can be as simple as you know finding a few friends, finding a room in your office, um calling them after hours, and you know teaching them
0: and what what is the what is the goal of doing that? i mean um, obviously you want to try and get some validation that there's actually a demand and and to figure out what type of Uh, content your potential customers are interested in. But I think there's also, it sounds like it's also about getting people to almost um, learn a little bit about their own ability to teach.
1: Yep, absolutely. It's to make you comfortable with the idea of teaching. Um, The other big difference in how you approach this depends on your background. Um, I think the path is very different for people that are content creators already. And I define that as, you know, I mean, you create a podcast, I would call you a content creator. So you're at a much further point than someone that's never had a blog, someone that's never had a podcast, and someone that's never, you know, created YouTube videos. So ultimately, if you are a creator, the path is, you know, much quicker. And you can probably get straight into the tactical stuff because chances are you already have an audience that cares about what you have to say. And it's more a case of, you know, scripting content recording content and actually distributing it but most of this offline teaching and understanding your value proposition and understanding create creating content applies to people that have never done any of that before
0: okay got it yeah and i think that's an interesting observation that you made that um you know i mean i have never run you know run a startup myself, yep. right? I mean, I spent the the vast majority of my career in the corporate world and, you know, 14 years at Microsoft. Um, yep. but e- even with this podcast, you know, I think this is going to be, this is episode 68, right? So even when I look back now at all the conversations that I've had and you start to connect the dots and you learn so much by talking to people such as yourselves, um, it makes me wonder as well. It's like, hey, is there something that I have that I've, I've built over all of these, I guess, you know, hundreds of hours of talking to people that I can condense and, and, and put together in a way that would be valuable for somebody, right? I don't uh, know.
1: Absolutely. I mean, you know, I think, I think of you as a creator. I mean, you've created something. Um, you know, you have an audience. If you were to create a course, I think, you know, you could probably distill a lot of great information that you already have in this podcast and create a pretty high quality course.
0: Maybe something to think about.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, think about think about it right now. I mean, how many how many podcast episodes have we recorded so far?
0: Uh so this is sixty eight.
1: So that's about 60, 68 hours of content. Sixty
0: eight hours of content. Yeah. I well, but maybe a little less than that, but I would say over fifty hours. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I love you, but I'm not going to listen. You know, if I wanted, if I found your <laughs> podcast today, I'm not going to listen to fifty hours of content. But if you can distill the best learnings from all of this, package it really well into a two to three hour online course, I would totally pay money for that. And you know, that's that's the kind of that's the kind of thing that, you know, a lot of creators are finally starting to understand. Might it be people that have, you know, large YouTube channels, might it be people with blogs, people with podcasts, is there's an opportunity in, you know, taking the right content, packaging it. Like a large part of what makes an online course work is packaging it correctly and having the community aspect where people can ask new questions and people can interact with each other. So very often where people are, people are not necessarily paying for, you know, the volume of content, what they're paying for is the fact that you're packaging it really, really well. And the fact that you're curating the best content so that, you know, they can access it in a cohesive manner.
0: Okay, there you go. So you've made a public commitment. If I if I create a course, you're gonna be my first
1: customer. (laughs) You will have one purchase.
0: (laughs) Okay. So we've we've kind of gone out and and validated it and, and taught a few people offline. So what's the next step that somebody would would go through?
1: The next step would probably be you know producing the content. And again, it depends on what topic you have. If you have something that's largely technical skill oriented. All you'd really need is a mic. Um, I mean, you can do what I did, where my first course was recorded with you know my iPhone speakers. It's, it's actually not even the complete worst. Um, but you know, then it's actually just a case of either having creating slides or you know just showing a demo of whatever it is that you're teaching. Alternatively, you can you know create a basic home setup, potentially even just with your iPhone as a video camera, where you have the talking head videos if you know you think if that's relevant for the kind of course you're building.
0: And, and so what type of tools do people use if they want to get a little bit more sophisticated? So I guess, you know, in terms of just recording the screen, they just, they just grab what something like yep, Cam- would, Camtasia, you know, Camtasia or ScreenFlow?
1: Precisely. Camtasia or ScreenFlow with, you know, a good, good microphone. I mean, you probably know microphones better than I do, but, you know, I would say a good microphone and Camtasia is, is enough if you're not going to have a talking head video.
0: Okay. Um, any, adv- I mean, you talked about the quality and, um, you know, the guys who, um, what was the, what was the name of that, uh, yeah. So bit BitFountain guys and sort of the obsession of quality that they had, is there any other advice that you would give to people as they think about creating yep. this content and, and so mistakes much, to avoid?
1: Yep. So as much as, you know, I talk about it, the importance of, of quality, quality content, Um, It's worth noting that people, by quality content, I don't necessarily mean that your content needs to look amazing as much as be really effective. Um, The state of the online course industry right now is, you know, it's still early days. So people are willing to be forgiving for content that doesn't necessarily look amazing or feel amazing as long as it's actually really good content. I mean, even BitFountain, I mean, you know, you watch their course, they're just, screencast with, you know, a nice microphone. There's nothing in the, their technology or in their production that's a barrier to entry. Um, at the same time, the biggest mistake I see people make when it comes to creating online courses is trying to be perfect and trying to, you know, do too much. Um, my recommendation to someone that wanted to do an online course is pick a very specific deadline. Um, maybe something like, I'm going to start working on this on Saturday morning. And I'm going to try and do the best I can by Sunday night, and do only this for two days, and you know just have like a very firm deadline, and do the best you can up until that point. Otherwise, you'll just get get to a place where you know your course is never finished. You keep thinking of new things to add to it, and you know you never actually ship the product.
0: Okay, cool. So we've got a uh, we've got some content produced, um, and um, so what what's next? How, do, do I? Do I go to Fedora or, or somewhere like that and just publish and, and get it
1: out there? Now, I think it comes down to whether you already have an audience of some kind or not. So, if you have some kind of audience, and you know that could just mean like a popular Twitter or a blog or you know an email list, if you have some audience, I mean, obviously, I'm biased, but I absolutely think it's in your best interest to go to a tool like Fedora, um, set up set up an account, and you know in, either integrate with your website or send it out to your audience and let them let them buy the course from you. Um, Alternatively, if you you are scared about charging people up front, you make the first course free with the idea of eventually charging them. If on the other hand, you have absolutely no audience, um, I think you can then look at, you know, marketplaces like Udemy as a place to first start building your audience. But at the same time, I mean, if you want to build an online business of any kind, and again, I'm sure you know this, a lot of other people listening to this know that, you have to have a strategy for building your own audience regardless of, you know, regardless of Fedora, regardless of anything, um, on the internet, if you don't build your own audience, um, launching any kind of online business is going to be incredibly challenging.
0: Okay. So uh, you made some interesting points there. Um, first of all, um, you know, using Fedora, some of the benefits I guess is you let me host everything on my own site, right? So, um, Tell me a little bit about how that works. How do I, how would I use Fedora and how would I get things onto my site?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, one of the several benefits of using Fedora, um, I think the biggest, the biggest one is obviously, you know, you retain complete ownership of everything. You retain ownership on pricing, which does not happen in marketplaces, you know, where they frequently have a $10 and you can buy anything kind of deal and your course is lumped in. You retain complete ownership of your brand which means it's not branded you know, with Udemy. It's branded with your site, your name, your logo. And probably most importantly, you retain complete ownership of your students. Your audience remains completely yours. They're not cross-sold into other competitive products. Um, no one else has any access to them. We don't have shared ownership on them. It's entirely your audience. So that's kind of the big thing about what Fedora is all about, which is ownership. Um, on the other hand, you know, we're people that have backgrounds in running online businesses, so we have a lot of features catered to actually help teachers make money. Um, so, you know, we have an inbuilt affiliate program that I talked about that we built too early, but we have the ability to charge for course, to have multiple price points per course, which can be very significant because um, on Udemy, you know, you generally keep courses between $49, between $9 and $199. But on Fedora, you can have a $5,000 course that meets offline for eight, for eight weeks, um, so There's a lot of flexibility in what you can do there. We allow you to set up a monthly subscription. We like to set up an annual subscription. You can, you know, create a bundle of all your courses and, you know, sell it for $49 a month, which, you know, um, you can't really do in any marketplace. We allow you to sell live classes. There's a lot of lot of stuff on the commerce side that um, we have really focused on making happen.
0: Okay, so I, I could take my <clears throat> so sorry, I could take my content, upload it to Fedora, and then you you provide me what ways to kind of embed this this stuff back into my site and then use Fedora as a way to, to manage the back end. Is that a way to think about it?
1: Yeah, it works, you know, pretty much similarly to the way WordPress or Shopify would do where it kind of builds you your own site. We take care of the technology, but to the end user, it appears like, you know, it's entirely your site. So if you had your so if you had your site at you know conversionaid.com, you could set up a Fedora site that looked like your site at courses.conversionaid.com or school.conversionaid.com or academy.conversionaid.com or something along those lines. Okay, so got it. So your end user it looks like hey, this is you know part of Omer's site. This looks great, and you know it's all about your brand.
0: Now, you talked about Udemy and how some people have been using that as a way to initially build an audience before they maybe offer something on their own site or a higher price offering. Can can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, by Udemy, I mean, I'm using it as a catch-all term for other online learning marketplaces of which, you know, there's Udemy, Skillshare, SkillFeed, um, several marketplaces where you can go upload your course and you know they have their own audience that can actually take the course. So if you have no audience at all to begin with, that might be a good strategy just to get started um, with the process of teaching online. But ultimately what we find is even you know, once people go to marketplaces and achieve some degree of success, that's when they invest in you know building their own school with Fedora and finally taking ownership of their audience. I think the other important thing to do if you do decide to do that is have a strategy that you're working on in parallel to build your audience. I mean it can be as simple as, you know, writing a blog or, you know, you know, starting your own podcast or something where you get people to care about who you are.
0: Okay, okay. Yeah, that that makes total sense. Okay, so two two possible routes if you have an audience already, then consider um you know, using something like Fedora to, to start to build your offering right there as, as part of your own site. If you don't, then look at some of these other learning marketplaces, try to offer maybe a, a lower cost offering and, and try to build a, a following that way. Um, what, um, what advice do you have for people who, um, maybe are worried about, say, negative reviews in these kind of marketplaces? I mean, obviously, if you create a totally crappy product, yep. you deserve to get negative reviews. Um, but what if, you know, you, you did your best, it's still rough around the edges, um, and uh, maybe you're getting kind of mixed reviews on the yep. product. What 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 can people do?
1: So the first thing I would tell you is, Honestly, the quality bar on marketplaces is so low. And I think that's one of the problems and why people don't actually use a lot of marketplaces. The quality bar is so low that some pretty crappy products have great reviews. And I'll be the first to admit, my first couple of courses on Udemy, they're they are not good courses. I mean, I finally unpublished them because I look back and I'm embarrassed by kind of you know just how poorly done a lot of them are, but they're still rated four plus stars just because the quality bar is not that high. You no know, that's kind of the first thing. Um the second thing is obviously you know when you're when you're building when you're building an online business you do have to have a thick skin because you know if you're either if you're either very successful or even if you know you're at the point where you're just putting yourself out there you have to you have to kind of account for the fact that there will be people that are not happy with what you're doing and just have a thick skin about it.
0: Okay. Yeah. Uh now you talked about um how with Fedora it's possible for people to offer higher priced offerings or uh maybe there's an offline component to it. And I was looking at Conrad's um uh, user growth boot camp mm-hmm. site. Um and Con- Conrad is another case study on your homepage from yep. you know from him generating what, 50k a month from yep. from this. Um can you talk a little bit about how maybe he or other people are kind of using an offline component? What what the, what those kinds of things could be?
1: Yep. So Conrad went through a path that we see pretty frequently with our teachers, where um, the longer you the longer you build on build online courses, the more you kind of move up in price. A lot of people start off in the you know nine to forty nine dollar range and eventually end up selling courses for hundreds of dollars. Conrad took that to the next next level by starting with you know $20 courses and finally ending with a bootcamp that went as expensive as $5000 so he used fedora to you know create the entire storefront handle the sales and commerce piece but also to create an online component to the bootcamp that met in person where we'd upload the recording from session because a lot of people were some people were in person and other people were remote where you know they they needed the video And kind of have a centralized discussion hub where the entire course, you know, right from the readings, the discussions, the comments, the videos, all of it could live in the same place. And the fact that Fedora allows you to have, you know, differentiated pricing meant that on the same sales page, people could, you know, buy the $1,000 remote option, the $3,000 in-person option, or the $5,000 in-person option.
0: Got it. So, so you could, so it's sort of thinking back to maybe the example that we talked about earlier with, you know, me turning something from a podcast into yep. some, some content that, that I guess could maybe an upsell in that example yep. could, could be maybe, um I don't know, some kind of hangout with people yep. where we kind of talk and sort of interact about specific topics and, and, yep. Okay, got it. I
1: I think it's a graduated scale. So for example, say you had a course on how to start a podcast. um, What you would probably do is have, you know, the basic course available for $49. Then for a few hundred dollars, what you could probably do is, you know, have some kind of mastermind or a community piece where everyone else in that group would like hang out together and collectively share strategies. But where a lot of the magic happens is you could have an even higher price version, probably as high as, you know, well over $1,000, where you actually do most of the work for the person that buys the course. Because a lot of times people are buying a solution and there's usually an opportunity to create the highest price product where you actually help them achieve the solution versus just teaching them about
0: it. And so in, in Conrad's example, there's a, there's a $3,000 weekly workshop um, yep. Is that an example in New York? So that, that would be an example, I guess, of, of doing something like that.
1: Yeah, he still falls under the criteria of where even at that price point, he's just spending more time, but he's still educating them. He's not actually growing their company for them. But a lot of other instructors we've seen that have been successful, they have a highest price product where they help you accomplish the very goal, almost like a service rather than teaching. But it's all happening on the same sales page where people can choose between, you know, learning themselves, learning themselves with help, or just like having someone do most of it for them.
0: Got it. Okay. Okay. So we've, we've, we've published the course. Um, we've, we've been building an audience, either an existing audience, um, or, um, you know, building a new audience through initial small courses on, 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 you know, these other marketplaces, maybe through blogging, maybe through a podcast. Um, is there anything else that people need to be thinking about? Um, I think what you talked about earlier was, was pretty good in terms of uh, maybe being aware about keeping the content updated. Is that important as well?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, again, to tie back to what I was saying earlier, and I guess a lot of people listening are software people, so they understand the idea of a minimum viable product is kind of taking that to, to courses as well and starting by developing what I like to call you know, the minimum viable course and then taking early people in it, listening to them, talking to them, and then iterating on your minimum viable course to make it something evergreen that can be best in class. But too many people I see make the mistake of trying to create a best-in-class product when really they should be thinking of what is the smallest thing I can create that gives value to other people selling it, and then talking to those paying customers that are always going to give you better feedback than, you know, a free customer and truly iterating on it to build a best-in-class product.
0: Okay. Is there uh, anything else that you think um, people need to know or any advice you would leave them with that we haven't talked about when it comes to creating an online course?
1: I, th- I think I think the biggest thing is, you know, just making sure you ship your content fast. And again, tying back to the first thing, you're aggressive about promoting it. And, you know, you, you get the word out there in as many channels as possible. So if you are, you know, if you create a course, um, in addition to hitting up your list, um, take parts of the course because chances are you've developed a lot of content for the course and just repackage it everywhere. Um, Once you've done the hard work of developing the content, that means you have enough in there for several blog posts, you have enough in there to create a slide share, you have enough in there to write answers on Quora, you have enough in there to create free YouTube videos. Just take that content, package it everywhere and have it all point towards your course.
0: Oh, so take elements of the content that you've created and and repackage that. Yeah, that's excellent advice. Yeah. Yeah, you don't have to reinvent the wheel.
1: Absolutely. That's one of the advantages of creating a course. Even if whatever reason your course doesn't work, you've created so much content that you can then put out over the next months, year maybe in different form factors with you having done the work up front. Cool.
0: And and using Fedora, I was just looking, you you you're you know, you have a free plan that folks can get pretty much started with today. Yep. And it's completely based on a, a transaction fee, yep. and it looks like the transaction fee gets lower as people can kind of move up to a a, a paid monthly plan
1: yep um you know i mean I, I like to think we're we're pretty affordable product um and you know to the degree if someone used the free plan and they distribute distributed their course for free, there would be no charge to them at any point um you know at that point we'd actually be losing money on them, but you know i mean Way we think about it, it is marketing expense for us. But if you have a free course on the free plan, you would never end up paying us anything.
0: So, if you're listening to this and and you've got some thoughts about something that you feel, you know, you confident about teaching other people, uh, or something that you've learned recently, uh, this could be a really great way for you to turn that into a. A course and and make some money out of it. So uh, this has really been excellent advice, Uncle. I, I really appreciate this. I think this yep. is going to be an incredibly valuable episode, and uh, I may actually take you up on this advice and create that yep, course. Absolutely. The other the other
1: thing the other thing we're happy to do to anyone listening to this this podcast is um, I'll send you a link. I'll send you a link that you can embed to this. But anyone listening to this podcast can get any month on a paid plan for free as well.
0: Sweet. Okay. That sounds great. Yep. Let's do that. All right. Uh, It's time for our lightning round. Um, I'm going to ask you a series of questions and uh, I'd like you to answer them as quickly as you can. You ready?
1: All right. Let's do this.
0: All right. What's the best piece of business advice that you ever received?
1: I think the best piece of business advice, and this was again given to me by I think Naval was it's not that different in terms of how much work you have to put in if you are running the local coffee shop or if you are the CEO of Starbucks, Um, which ties into the idea of, you know, think big. Um, It's as much the amount of work you have to put in to do something massive versus something on a much smaller scale isn't that different.
0: What book would you recommend to our audience and why?
1: This is dated because it's been over 10 years since I read this book and you know I'm only 26. Um, But I went down this path of entrepreneurship after staying up all night reading Losing My Virginity by Richard Branson. I have not reread it. So it's a bit of a bold claim. But that book is one of the reasons I'm doing what I'm doing. So I'd have to go with that.
0: Uh, I love Richard Branson. He's one of my heroes. Okay, what's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful entrepreneur?
1: This is going to sound counterintuitive, but I think not being too analytical. I think you need analytical people on your team and there's a time to be analytical, but being able to take tough gut calls based on nothing, nothing but your gut, I think is incredibly important.
0: What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit?
1: Um, I think I referred to this briefly while talking about courses, but just the idea of if I'm going to do something, set a stupidly aggressive deadline, just to kind of excite yourself into being like, can I do this? Can I not do this? And usually you won't accomplish it, but it'll get you so much closer than, you know, something realistic that you slowly scale up to.
0: If you had to start over tomorrow, what type of business or problem or market excites you? Other than the one you're in, I guess.
1: I was like, yeah, this is the least favorite. Like, this is the most cliched answer. But I can't imagine, you know, being anywhere else right now. I mean, the online education space is just so fascinating to me personally that um, I I think, you know, I'd, I'd be doing exactly what I'm doing. If not, if I had to pick something else, um, probably something in the health space um, just because, you know, Because if one, having grown up outside America, seeing the way the American healthcare system is run, you realize, you know, things need to change.
0: What's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know?
1: I think it's the fact that, I mean, I'm a technology entrepreneur. I have a computer science degree, but I'm really, really bad at actually using technology. Um, I have like three apps on my phone. I use like Safari for everything. My phone's like super old. My computer's old. Just the fact that I like don't really, I'm not a good technology user.
0: <laughs> and finally, what is one of your most important passions outside of your work?
1: Um, I think it's that, that's an easy one. I think it's definitely, you know, the sport of cricket. I grew up playing cricket all the time. I played internationally for a while. Like my life goal for a long time was to do cricket. Um, it's how I started my entrepreneurial career, building a fantasy cricket game, I've worked with, you know, the Cricket League in India in the past. Um, so much of what I do in my life kind of goes back to cricket and I guess sports in general. Um, that that's that's one of the things I need just to keep me sane.
0: Were you watching the World Cup?
1: I was, I was. Um, I But it's not even the World Cup. Everyone watches the World Cup. I watch like <laughs> the cricket that no one watches. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's it's just been such an integral part of my life growing up. I mean, until maybe I was... 15 that I realized that I'm not good enough to do this for a living. But until then, I did not accept an alternate reality.
0: Wow. Yep. Ankar, I want to thank you for joining me today and sharing your experiences and insights with our audience. And thank you for letting us get to know you a little better personally as well. Now, if folks want to find out more about Fedora, they can go to usefedora.com. Uh, if they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Um, probably Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is my full name, Ankur Notball. Um, that's probably the quickest way to get to me.
0: Okay, great. And we'll include that in the show notes. Uh Ankur, thanks again and I wish you continued success in the future.
1: Sure, it's been it's been a lot of fun. A lot of fun being on the show. And yeah, I mean, happy to give anyone listening to this a free month to try any paid Fedora plans.
0: Awesome. Thanks, man. Cheers. Take care.